The scripture reading this morning is Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them, or if, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You may be seated. Thank you, Matt. <clears throat> now, uh, I, I don't know what you're thinking, uh, but uh, if, if I was you, I might be thinking, you know, listen, we've been through this vision, and then we've been through it again, and now we're going through it again. What possibly could we take away from this passage? Buckle up. That's all I got to say. Buckle up. This is, this is an amazing passage of Scripture, and um, I'm excited to share it with you today. Well, it's a new day. It's a new day, and with this new day comes a whole new opportunity for uh, false prophets to get on... Well, that just didn't work. Um, I don't know if I clicked the wrong thing. Maybe go... There you go. Let's see. Does it work? My clicker is broken, fellas. It worked perfectly in the first service. I didn't do it. Okay, so I'm just going to say next slide. Okay, it's a new day, and today uh, a false prophet will get up on YouTube or some sort of Christian broadcasting or radio network and start spewing false teaching and false doctrine and all these kinds of things. And then guys like, next slide, Chris Roseboro will uh, get on the radio or the, or the uh, internet and begin to dispute them. Chris Roseboro, a guy who... Uh, a guy who, thank you, a guy who is, uh, we have, we've been doing this for a long time, this catching thing. Uh, we do this every Sunday. It's probably why the clicker's broken. 
Uh, okay. Um, he's a guy that uh, puts on a, a, a program on YouTube called Fighting for the Faith, and all he does is he takes what these teachers, these false teachers, whatever, what, whatever they put together, and he compares it to the Word of God, and his attempt is to try to equip the church to think rightly about things like this. But if you hear some of the claims that are made by some of these false teachers and false prophets, I mean, listen, you've been around long enough to hear some of these things, right? Like, you've heard false teachers and false prophets. I mean, I've heard one of them at, at least say that God told him that the congregation was supposed to buy him a new private airplane, actually a jet. Now, that's not self-serving at all, is it? Like, how awesome would it be if I just said, you know what, guys, uh, Delaware Bible Church, the Lord told me that I need a Mercedes. Oh, wait, I have one of those. It's an old one. The Lord told me I need a new Mercedes. And uh, you guys, if you're, if you're going to be obedient to the Lord, you better get out your pocketbooks and, buy, and you know, write me some checks and stuff like that. No, it's crazy, right? That's insane. Um, I've heard false teachers and false prophets say, you know, predict the end of the world on a certain date at a certain time, and that date and that time comes, and uh, it's still busted. I don't know. Maybe uh, unplug it and plug it back in. Try that. I got the light. Maybe go get Brad's uh, clicker. That might be the best thing to do. Um, Pastor Brad has a backup. Anyway, it worked perfectly in the first service. I mean, apparently Satan hates this message, right? Um, anyway, so I've heard him predict the end of the world. That day comes, that day goes, and then they, shockingly, people still listen to that guy. And so they say, oh, well, you know, the Lord revealed to me a new day and a new time. And so that new day and that new time comes and goes. The world doesn't end. And shockingly, people still listen to that person, and, and on it goes. So you might hear some of these claims that these false teachers and pro false prophets make, and you might ask yourself the question, who is listening to these guys? Who's listening to these people? And the answer to that question is very important. It's the theologically gullible. When we come to Christ, our job is to keep growing, keep changing. And what that looks like in our everyday life is it looks like that we, we, we take this Bible that we've been given, we read it, we attempt to understand it, and very importantly, right, we try to apply it in our lives. The way that God has told us that we are to speak, we practice that every day. The way that God has told us to use uh, our time, we practice that in reality every day, and so on and so forth. And, um, but what happens is, what happens is, a person will make some sort of a profession of faith and either not, not plug into church, right? Not plug into the Word of God, but instead start getting their content from these false teachers, these false prophets. Because after all, they, this is what, I think this is what people reason. Stop me if I'm wrong. Um, I think people reason, well, these folks have, they're on TV. They're on, they're on CBN. They're on YouTube. And, and on their YouTube platform, they have very glitzy, you know, two-camera panning back and forth, uh, production, high production value. They're, uh, perhaps they're tall, they're attractive, they're, they've got lots of hair, just flowing locks, perfect teeth. I don't know, but for whatever reason, these folks, uh, they tune into these folks and they listen to, to these teachers and these false prophets. But for those of us that, 
that have a handle on the Word of God, what they say doesn't make any sense, and we shut them off. There's a lesson there. We need to understand the Word of God, and we need to grow and change, become more like Christ. Now, what does that have to do with our text today? Oh, by the way, by the way, this also applies in other facets of life, too, this, gu- this gullibility thing. For example, um, do, you, do you ever turn on certain news networks and wonder, how do people believe any of this stuff? Do you ever do that? I do that. And I, I just I slam my head against the wall and say, unnamed sources say, and then some outlandish thing, and, and uh, sources close to the information say, with, with outlandish thing then being said. And, and here's, my, here's my hypothesis, right? My hypothesis is that if you only watch those news networks and that's all you get and, that, and you think because of the production value and the name and all this you think this is genuine news then that's what you'll believe is true but if you're discerning it all and you realize that this network may have a bias then you sample things from different places and you, you put together a plan to, to get solid information and, and then you can, see right, you can see right through it you can cut right through the clutter Well, how does this apply to our text today? Well, this text in Acts chapter 11 is going to help us, I think, really understand something very important that we need to understand about how we discern what God is doing. And so the big question today, next slide, is... Oh, there we go. How does Acts 11 help us deal with people who make seemingly outlandish claims in the name of God? And how does the same text help us to think well? Can we all agree that up until this point, you know, Acts 10 and 11, up until this point, really the push had been to get the word of the gospel out to the Jews. That had been the push. And um, the idea of opening this message up to everyone was controversial. And so when Peter comes back, he's up in Samaria ministering. He has this whole thing with, with Cornelius, and he's, you know, he witnesses God opening the door to the Gentiles. You know, he comes back to Jerusalem and he's called on the carpet. He's, he's called to account what is going on here. And so, um, so we're going to do this in kind of two sections today. And I'm gonna, I, th- I hope that I'm going to help you see how this text really helps us to understand um, how, to, how to be discerning when it comes to somebody making an outlandish claim. The first thing that we see in the text is this. Next slide. Oh, maybe it is working now. I think it is. It's working. Yeah, good. Woo-hoo. All right, so the first thing I want to show is resolving differences, resolving differences. And we see Peter versus the circumcision party. Let me read the first few verses here. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea had heard the Gentiles that also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's the, that's the criticism that they're lodging against him. So Peter was up in Samaria. He was in Joppa, Caesarea area. And that's an area where there's a mixture of, of kind of half Jewish, half Gentile people, and then lots of Gentiles up there. And he ministered specifically to a Gentile named Cornelius. Now he's coming back down south to the region of Judea and the capital, Jerusalem. And that's where a lot of the apostles and the early church is, is kind of hanging out. So it comes back to them. Now the issue here, I want you to notice that the issue here that that Peter is having is not with the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. That's who Jesus butted heads with most of the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Now 
Peter is having a conflict with other believers, other Jewish believers who the Bible describes as the circumcision party. I have a footnote in my Bible that says those of the circumcision. And apparently what they've got in their minds is, is that in order to be a follower of Jesus, who, let's admit, was Jewish, in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, since Judaism is kind of flowing out, or Christianity, that is, the Christian faith is kind of flowing out of the Jewish faith, that in order for this to all work, you've got to be Jewish and you've got to obey the Old Testament law, or at least facets of it. You have to obey it. So that's the tension that's going on. Now, Peter could have very easily come into the scene and said, look, guys, calm down. God told me that this was okay. God told me everything's fine, so let's just move on with life. Now, he's the apostle Peter. He's an important guy. He was one of the 12 that was with Jesus the whole way through. And so he could have said, God told me. But listen, a huge shift is taking place in the church back then, right? The good news of Jesus Christ had been open to, uh, had been open to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And when Peter arrives back, back in Jerusalem, they're basically trying to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with him. Now put yourself in the position of the circumcision party, and I, I sympathize with them, because I think I'm wired a little bit like the circumcision party. If, 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 for example, one of you were to leave and go to a conference, right, and to come back, and, and, and something, so cra- something crazy happened at that conference, like there was like some sort of a movement of the Holy Spirit, right, and you came back and reported that, okay, some major doctrine in the church that we've believed for the whole time that Delaware Bible Church has been a church, one of those doctrines is changing and we're to believe it in a new way now, I would be that guy that would go, really? What is going on? Like, it's proved to me that this is true. Like, I, I, we've, this has been in the Bible for forever, you know, and, and now you're changing. So I, I kind of sympathize. They sincerely believe that what Peter is doing in ministering the gospel to non-Jews is wrong, and so they call him to count. They criticize him. What are you doing? Now, Peter simply could have summarized this with, God, hey, God told me, to share the gospel with the Gentiles. But Peter knew, Peter knew that God told me is not a very good argument. And if you want to see Pastor Scott ever get triggered, just to use the vernacular of the day that we live in, then put Pastor Scott in a sermon uh, setting where he's not preaching, but somebody else is, and have that person say, God told me, and then what comes out of his or her, hers or her mouth, whoever's mouth next, is unbiblical, Right? God told me that we should all go rob the bank, right? I'm going to say, foul, time out. That's not true, right? So Peter knows that that's not a good argument, and so he didn't make that argument. He went ahead and retold the story. And can we just all say, we've heard the, we watched the account unfold in in, uh, Acts chapter 10, and then Peter recounted it already in Acts chapter 10, and he's recounting it again in Acts chapter 11, And I just want to point out that the Bible, when the Bible does that, it's emphasizing this is an important thing that's happening here. This is is emphasis, right? And so the transition from a church uh, uh, made up of, of Jews only to a church made up of Jews and all other people, Gentiles, represents a huge change that many would see as a violation of the Old Testament, Old Testament law, or at least their traditions and their teachings. So let me show you something maybe that you've never seen before 
that might help you with this passage to understand that this is real. First of all, if we go all the way back to Acts chapter 9, and, and I just want to say and just remind you that the chapter divisions and the verses in the Bible are not inspired. They were added in later by people. And so, really, if we start from where the camera, so to speak, swung away from the previous incident and swung on to Peter, that this narrative really starts back in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, right? So, what happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, is Peter heals a guy named Aeneas. He, he's been, what? He's been uh, bedridden for eight years. He's paralyzed. And Peter doesn't just heal him. He says, Jesus heals you, verse 34. Rise and make your bed. Now, I don't know about you, but our best medical science that we have available to us today in 2022, thousands of years after these occurrences, our best medical science cannot help a paralyzed person walk instantly and just perfectly. Peter did that in Jesus' name, right? Now, this is validation and authentication of who Peter is. Peter is operating according to God's plan. Then, then in the very next passage, verses 36 to 43, we see Peter actually raised Dorcas from the dead. Again, after a person has been dead for a couple of minutes past that, um, very, very few instances of anybody ever resurrecting and without medical in intervention going on constantly, there's no hope of bringing someone back to life. This, this girl had been dead for a long time, and Peter raises her from the dead again, operating in Jesus' name. What do we see here? We see Peter doing the same types of things that Jesus did when he walked on the earth. This is authentication. This is getting us as the observer ready to see that this big change that's going to happen is being done by God. But if that weren't enough for you, follow, track with me on this logic. If we, if we go then forward to Acts chapter 10, Peter goes into this trance and gets this vision. Now, that's, can we, just, can we just admit, in today, in 2022, somebody like myself could, could come before you on a day like today and say, look, I was praying last week, and I went into a trance, and I had a vision, and here's what the Lord said. I could do that. I don't do that. It doesn't happen to me, but uh, I, I could do that. And you may be susceptible to understanding what I have to say. If you're smart, you'll compare what I say to the Word of God, and then you'll, you'll cry foul, but, um, but, but I could do that. Nonetheless, Peter gets this vision. But also, and this is key, Cornelius gets a vision. Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, Cornelius, who is not a Jew but a Gentile, Cornelius, who also has built a reputation, if you remember back a few weeks, he's built a reputation of being a God-fearing man who is also known and has a reputation for giving to the poor, alms to the poor. Cornelius gets this vision. Now, again, there are all types of people out there in the world operating in Jesus' name and making outlandish claims in the name of God. However, the people claiming to have visions today and the visions that are outlined in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 are strikingly different, different and let me show you how. 
the connection of the two visions. And I put in the, I put in the thing, 2FA. Does anybody know what 2FA is? Shane, what's 2FA? It's two-factor authentication. Now, if I sound like a nerd, track with me here for just a minute. God doesn't, this is a huge change. God is changing the entire church, the, com- the composition of the church from Jews to all people, okay? And he's not going to just send Peter a message and tell, and, and tell the church, hey, just trust Peter's message. He's going to give Peter a vision, and at the same time, working miles and miles away, God is going just so, to, just so that we're clear that it's not a guy whispering to Peter through a crack in the wall, right? All these miles away, God is also going to work in the life of Cornelius. And these two visions are connected. In other words, Peter hears, hey, the, you know, rise, Peter, kill, and eat, but also that there's some, there's some people at the door, and they're going to take you somewhere. Go with them, right? And at the same time, Cornelius is, well, before that, Cornelius is getting this vision that there's, there's something going on, and you need to send for Peter, who's staying at Joppa in Simon the Tanner's house. It gives him the exact town, the exact location. And so he sends his delegation of three people to town, and he finds, they go to the right house, the right town, and they find Peter exactly as the vision said. And as, as Peter is, is getting out of this trance, then at that moment, the, the knock comes to the door, and it's Cornelius delegation, and, and they invite them in, and then they go with them to Caesarea. What I'm saying is, is that, that these two, these two, uh, you know how when you like, I had to do this recently. My, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Keziah, uh, had a data breach because she, like her father, uses about three passwords for every single account that we have. And I just know that I can just, if I don't, if I miss it the first time and I miss it the second time, by the third time, I'll get it because it's got to be one of those three, right? Which is really bad practice. Don't do that. So Keziah learned the hard way because she had a data breach that she needs to have unique passwords for all of her accounts. So she told me this, and she told me how she did it. So I kind of followed suit with her. I changed all my passwords. And when I went to change some of them, like my Google password, I go into the screen, you know, I go to the website, and I type in my old password, then I type in my new password twice, which is long and has special characters and numbers and all these kinds of things. And then after I click OK, it says, we're going to do two-factor authentication. Now, do you want that in a phone call or an email? meaning they're going to send me a code and then I've got to type that code in so that it's not just they're not just trusting some schmo like me logging onto a website but they're also getting like another form of validation that I am who I say I am so that I'm not hacking into the, the account by the way I've all, people have tried to fool me on this I don't know if this has happened to you one time I put something on Facebook marketplace to sell it and I mean within I don't know five minutes I got a nibble I got somebody contacting me and they said, um, hey, I'm interested in that thing that you just put on Facebook Marketplace. I'm going to send you a six-digit code, and if you tell me the six-digit code, I'll know it's you, and then we can do business. And then I immediately got a text message from Google that said, your code is G and then six digits. What was that person doing? They were trying to hack into my Google account. It's a scam, right? Right? And uh, I told them very kindly, but very firmly, go away and never contact me ever again. I know what this is. But anyway, they do this two-factor authentication. So let me try to graphically illustrate what just happened here, right? 
God uh, got a hold of first the Apostle Peter, and he's called the Apostle Peter because he was sent by Jesus himself, right? Apostle means sent one. He gets a hold of Apostle Peter who has just healed someone in Jesus' name and just resurrected someone from the dead in Jesus' name, right? And he, he also gets a hold of Cornelius who is a Roman centurion and a Gentile, not a Jewish person, but he's a God-fearer and he's got a good reputation not just in his community, but among the Jews as well. And God is going to simultaneously send them visions that interconnect, right? That, that one depends on the other. In other words, if Cornelius' delegation goes to uh, Joppa and they go to the house of Simon the Tanner and Peter's not there, the whole thing falls apart. Likewise, if, if, if Peter is told there's going to be some people there, go with them, and they never show up, the whole thing falls apart. And so this delegation comes, and this delegation both was instructed and sent by God through Cornelius, and they were received by God because of the message that he sent to Peter. Do you see how this doesn't match some prophet on YouTube saying, well, God told me, so you better listen, because I'm one of God's people. It's not even close. It's not even close. And listen, I'm not a fool. In a church this size, I know that some of you, at least some of you, will tune into some of these people, whether it be on Christian broadcasting, whether it be on YouTube or some sort of podcast. And please just listen. This is my pastor's heart saying, the pathway to spiritual maturity and to, to growth into Christ-likeness is not through these false teachers and false prophets who promise you everything and deliver nothing, who spew false doctrine and, and make claims about God that he doesn't make in his own word. The pathway of spiritual growth and maturity is understanding the word of God and applying it with Christ as our example. Okay. I, th I just think this is the coolest thing ever. God invented two-factor authentication. Uh, the computer geeks didn't do it. He did it, right? Uh, now, there's other evidence too, right? Because uh, in, his, in, his, um, in his explaining these things, uh, Peter goes on to say, as I began to speak, this is verse 15, chapter 11, verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. What's he talking about with the beginning? The day of Pentecost, right? When this amazing thing happened and you know, the, the, the tongues of fire appeared over their heads and they, they began to speak in all kinds of tongues because the Spirit rushed on them, Peter's like, that thing happened also to these people, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit came on them as well. And then we also see the evidence of their transformed lives. Their transformed lives. Um, the Christian's obedience to Jesus now extends into breaking down the social barriers that separated Jew and Gentile. Literally everyone now would see that Christians who are, everybody in the community would see Christians who, who are Jews and Christians who are Gentile, who were once previously separate, are now together in fellowship. And that is a powerful testimony. That's a powerful testimony in the world. People that were once separated by social boundaries and are now together in fellowship. 
Now, again, what's, uh, I'm just noting some things about this passage. What's notable in this passage is that upon hearing Peter's testimony and this whole elaborate story of him and Cornelius and the, and the visions and, and all these things, in hearing these testimonies, uh, these men, these men of the circumcision party, and, and trust me, this issue isn't going to be settled here. There's always going to be this tension. Going forward, there's always going to be a tension between in the book of Acts, there's going to be a tension between those who think that we need to follow the Old Testament law and those who, who don't. But this particular group that confronted Peter, are you ready for this? Changed their minds. You ever have a debate with someone about anything, politics or religion or whatever, and they just say, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm going to change my mind on that. You know how rare that is? I, you ever see that happen on a, on a news talk show where somebody gives a really good argument and then they say, you know what, you're right, I changed my mind. But these guys did. And I think that that's a, a function of the Holy Spirit is operating in their lives because they see there's no way that Peter of his own could have orchestrated him being in Joppa getting a vision and this other guy, Cornelius, in Caesarea getting a vision. And for all these things, that had to be God. It had to be. And so they changed their minds. Now listen. Today, in this day that we live in, 2022, we don't see God working quite the same way as he did in Acts chapter 11, right? There may come a day when he works this way again. And yet there are people out there that are claiming that he is working that way today and that he is giving prophets and apostles all these visions and, and messages from God. And I always, I always chuckle because they're always so vague. God's got a big thing coming. There's a filling coming, a filling, an anointing, a rushing. It's coming. And you're like, well, what are you talking about? Like, what exactly is coming? They're like, a filling. Like, I'm going to get a tooth filling or... Because that's going to happen because I eat too much sugar, but... There may come a time, uh, uh, but for now, but for now, our job is just to follow God's word with Christ as our example. If a soldier is out in the field and he receives a message that doesn't fit with previous orders and he thinks that the message has good suspicion that the message may have been corrupted or it's propaganda, that soldier is compelled to follow the orders that he knows to be right. We have the word of God. We have it, so let's follow that and not entrust ourselves to people who, have, who may have lots of talent and charisma and hair and teeth and the whole thing who simply say, God told me. Don't you believe it? My job, part of my job here at Delaware Bible Church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Let's not get distracted by these shysters. Now, like first service, I'm, I'm, I don't have enough time to get all the way through my second point, so I'm going to do uh, the best I can. Um, uh, and, and this is also an important point, and, I, and I've resolved to, uh, to present this on a Sunday evening when we have a Sunday evening in August to share this. But I want to talk about the problems with the letter of the law, uh, problems with letter of the law thinking. And here I'm talking about those people from the cir circumcision party who said... You, this is verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
So on the one hand, why we need to be diligent to follow the word of God, to know what it says, and to listen and obey it, and to not pay attention to false teachers. On the other swing of the pendulum over here, Christians can become very critical of each other without really knowing the circumstances. And I'm pointing to this text, and and I'm saying that when Peter comes back to Jerusalem, he's not met with the attitude of, Peter, what is going on? What happened in Caesarea? Tell us all about it. He's met with criticism. You ate with uncircumcised people. We have a tendency, if we're not careful, to develop an overcritical spirit when it comes to one another. And um, I just, I, I think we need to be aware of that on a routine basis. So let me, let me just share with you my thoughts uh, in the few minutes that I have left. God gave us the word made flesh. So we have the word of God in our hands, right? We have the Bible, but we also have, according to John 1, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with, with God, and the word was God, and down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And who's he talking about there? But Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, right? That's why, because of his perfection, he's God the Son. That's why when he died on the cross, he was the only one able to pay the penalty for our sin. And as we always talk around here, not only did he pay the penalty for our sin, for anyone who would trust him, believe in him, but he is also the Lord of our lives, meaning we are to follow him. That's why people always say things like, what would Jesus do? Uh, Because he's our example. He's an example of the word of God perfectly lived out in life. And apparently, we needed both. We needed the rules that are contained in God's word. We needed the, the precepts. And we also needed an example. And God gave us both. Praise the Lord. He gave us both. But letter of the law thinking fails to assess intent. In other words, what is the larger, what is, that, what is the goal or, the, or the, the end that the law or the rule is pointing to, right? Why is one of the Ten Commandments not, thou shalt not lie, right? Ephesians 4.25 helps us to understand that, right? It understands that we as a, a community, as a society, are, are, are interconnected with one another. And when we, when we lie to one another, we, we begin to pull that apart and break it down. And we need to know that. It's, it's important for us to know why we don't tell lies. So, but letter of the law thinking just kind of wipes that away and says, don't do this, don't do that. I think of Jesus when he was walking in the field with his disciples, right? And, and they were plucking heads of grain because they were hungry. It happened to be the Sabbath day. And the, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got after him, you know, what are you doing working on the Sabbath? And Jesus is like, you're missing the whole point here. You don't understand the intent of this law. And so they missed it. But letter of the law thinking can also be exploited, right? Um, how many people do you know? I mean, not personally, but that you've heard that 
let's talk about the U.S. law code, right? They, they've learned how to manipulate the law to kind of get whatever they want, but they're not, what they're doing is not technically legal, but it's pushing every boundary of the law, stretching the law as far as it can go before you break it, right? And people who, and I've been in situations like this, where somebody is clearly um, doing things that are, are not good for the body, not good for themselves, not following Christ's example, and I, and I ask them about it, and they say, well, did I, did I cross the line of sin? I'm still on this side, right? So I'm good. I just really, you know. It can be exploited. In other words, they, they're following perhaps the letter of the law, but not in any way, shape, or form the spirit. The law can also be used to do harm, right? This is using the letter of the law outside its context and spirit to hurt someone, to, to, to keep someone in an abusive relationship, to, keep, uh, to, keep, to, to, to make a proclamation about God, something that God has said in such a hurtful and onerous way that you really have no, no hope of doing what Pastor Aaron shared last week, which is what you're saying, what you're doing, drawing people one step closer to God, or is it pushing them one step further away? Has no hope of doing that. And it, it, it just ignores the reality that life is rarely simple. It is often complex. So, letter of the law thinking is, is really quite dangerous. And there's all kinds of examples that I could think of, and I'll, and I'll do a better job of this when, when we have a Sunday night. But just, you know, one example is alcohol, right? Alcohol. The Bible is very clear, right? That you shall not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, Right? And so, um, do I have a personal conviction about my relationship with alcohol? I do. I have a, a very strong conviction about it. Uh, I don't personally think it's good for you, and I, I personally am not going to do it. So, um, but, what's the Bible say? The Bible says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I always smile a little bit when I read about Jesus' first miracle, which is turning water into wine at a wedding. I just smile a little bit at all the people that say, that say, thou shalt not ever under any circumstances drink alcohol. My personal preference, in other words, is not what the Bible says. And yet, people in the church will get wrapped around the axle about things like that uh, from other Christians who, who take a sip now and then, in moderation, not getting drunk. But then there's other people in the church that will push the limits and get, I'm buzzed, but I'm not drunk, hogwash. Stop it. And so, again, life is rarely simple. It is, often, it is often complex. And we have to go with not only what the Bible says, but with Christ's example. And I don't see Christ, you know, I don't, I don't know how much he drank, but he didn't get drunk, right? There's lots and lots of examples of this. I will say this before I, before I present a couple passages of Scripture and end up. There is a detestable practice out there in the world. There's a group out there called TMZ. I barely know about it, but I know just enough to know that they're a gossipy uh, paparazzi organization, and their big thing is they want to take pictures of celebrities in compromising positions or doing nefarious things and slather them all over the Internet to shame these celebrities because apparently this attracts the eyeballs of depraved people like you and me who will pay money to see these things or at least watch advertising to see these things. 
You don't think that Christianity has the same version of that? You don't think we have our version of TMZ? We absolutely do. We have people who will, from a distance, judge a whole group of believers from another church because something happened at that church, and with no detail, with no context, with no even attempt to grasp the struggles that are going on inside that body, they'll sit over on the side and just start writing blog posts. You know what happened over at XYZ Church? Well, at XYZ Church... There was a divorce, and the elders allowed it, and it was, and how dare they? And they're out of the Lord's will, and they don't know what they're doing, and they all should be thrown out of office immediately and resign, and ah, and stir up strife and division in the church. It's letter of the law thinking. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23, as he was ministering to the woman at the well, and as he was confronting her in her sin gently, uh, as they got the conversation shifted over to worship, uh, Jesus said this, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. We need both, folks. We need to know the truth of God's Word and we need to understand the spirit of it and that's perfectly demonstrated in Jesus Christ. We also read Deuteronomy 6, right? Uh, and, and also in the New Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That means that word might, that carries the idea of everything that you've got. And so we do need to, un- to read God's word, to understand it, to implement it in our lives using Christ as our example. The New Testament says the same thing, except it uses the word strength. And so when we get... When we get to the end of this passage and we, we recall what the question was, how does Acts 11 help us to deal with people who, who make seemingly un, un, outlandish claims in the name of God? And how does this help us to think? Well, the answer is this. When God asks us to change our understanding, he always provides authentication. We see it over and over in the scriptures. Whenever God does something like this, we, he does it in such a way that, to, that shows us that it's God operating. It's God making the change. Don't fall for the shenanigans of people who claim to be the Lord's anointed. That's a misunderstanding of Scripture, right? Uh, It's a misunderstanding of Scripture to do that. So by way of application, just a couple things. Uh, Number one, do not mistake talent for God's anointing. Do not do that. Uh, And by anointing, I mean, in the Old Testament, when God called King Saul, you know, he sent the prophet and he anointed him with oil, signifying this was God's chosen man, right? This was God's chosen man. And then David was anointed by Samuel, right? This is God's chosen man. And some of these false teachers and false prophets who are very talented, very tall, flowing locks, teeth, they can give a speech, they got TV, high TV and radio production value, they will make a claim that they are the Lord's anointed. After all, look at all the things that he's given me, this private jet and this TV production studio and all the things that God's given me. Obviously, I'm in God's will because look at all the stuff that I have. That's a terrible argument. Reject it every time. And they're preying on the theologically gullible to accumulate that stuff. And then using their prey on the theologically gullible as evidence that God's in, into It's sick. Sick stuff. Always look to the Word of God, and I'd say the example of Christ for answers. And by the way, on that, on what I said earlier about the, the Word of God and the example of Christ, 
you realize that there's other false teachers out there that are exploiting that. They'll say, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would do this, this, and this, completely ignoring the word of God when Jesus did something completely different in here. Or they'll get out the letter of the law thinking, completely ignoring the example of Christ. These guys are so insidious. Satan is so crafty in all of his ways. You've got to be alert and on your guard. And the only way to be alert and on your guard is to know the word of God, to study the word of God, and to apply it in your life using Christ as your example. Secondly, be careful not to trust letter of the law thinking or thinkers. Be, if, when, when, be the type of person that when Peter comes back from Caesarea and all these changes are happening, be the type of person to welcome him in. Say, brother, it's good to see you. What is going on at Caesarea? We've heard things. Do explain. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. This passage is so rich and full, and uh, I'm grateful to you, Father, for it. Um, it's just so amazing to see how you reassure us as your people that your hand is in these things. And so, Father, help us to be wise as we walk this earth, now more equipped to see through the charades of those who do not speak consistently with your word, but claim that they are your men and your women. Help us to see right through it and help us to be uh, you know, lights for those others that are trapped in the snare of their teachings uh, to, to illuminate the path out of that and into Christ-likeness. In his name we pray, amen.